0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Every so often we have to do a show where we catch up on stuff. Today will be one such show. Hope you enjoyed our, uh, our talk with Gerald Nachman over the past two programs, talking about his wonderful book, Raised on Radio. It's a lot of good stuff there, and we had a choice between trying to put it all in one program or breaking it up over a two-week period, and I think, I think we did the right thing, Mr. McMillan. We expect perhaps to hear from some of our old friends on this program uh, as we go along. We're never quite sure about such things, but uh, whether we do or whether we don't, we're going to be playing catch-up on a lot of articles that have been piling up on the desk. let's jump right in and start the show as we like to do with, on this date in history, the date in question being the 14th of October. It was on October 14th in 1066 that William the Conqueror defeated the English King Harold II at the Battle of Hastings. According to legend, Harold was killed in the battle by taking an arrow through the eye. Ouch. On this date in 1863, the Swedish arms manufacturer Alfred Nobel patented the explosive nitroglycerin. Actually what I think he patented was mixing nitroglycerin with diatomaceous earth to make dynamite. You know, we very seldom get a chance to talk about diatomaceous earth on this program. But since we did mention it, I don't know, I was just thinking about diatomaceous earth the other day. I was pedaling along my bicycle late in the day and watching the uh, the reflected sunlight off the uh, lines on the highway. I believe they mix diatomaceous earth with paint to give it that reflective quality. What is diatomaceous earth, you ask? And by this point, you know you're listening to Radio Parallax. It's the remains of sea creatures which rain down on the ocean floor. The sea creatures have silicate bodies. These diatoms manufacture their own uh, skeleton, but instead of using calcium carbonate, like, uh, like in seashells, they actually precipitate silica which is basically glass. So when light hits these little uh, bits of powdered glass, it it tends to reflect back outwards. Why it works in dynamite, I haven't a clue. Moving right along, on October 12th in 1912, former U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt was shot at close range in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but suffered only a flesh wound, and being (laughs) the macho guy that he was, went on to make a one-hour speech with the bullet still in his chest. Roosevelt was running for president as a third-party candidate and actually got more popular and electoral votes than did the sitting incumbent, William Howard Taft. But by splitting the vote, this made Woodrow Wilson president. Yeah, talk about Teddy Roosevelt some point on this program. Well, I guess we did when we talked to Evan Thomas of Newsweek about, uh, about the Rough Riders in Cuba, etc. But the first Roosevelt presidency is worthy of mention because, uh, well, for a number of reasons— a Republican conservationist, a Republican who wasn't afraid to take on Wall Street, a Republican who tried to rein in the abuses of corporate America—does this guy sound like a Republican? Well, he was, and we could use a few more like him, frankly. On October 14th, 1944, the German general Erwin Rommel, known as the Desert Fox, killed himself with cyanide rather than face a public treason trial for conspiring in the failed assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler the previous July. And by the way, as we mentioned before, Tom Cruise's Valkyrie, the movie about that assassination plot, good film. Check it out. And finally, it was on October 14th in 1947 that U.S. Air Force test pilot Chuck Yeager became the first person to fly faster than the speed of sound, reaching a velocity of more than 662 miles per hour at 40,000 feet, in the X-1 Bell rocket plane. We were privileged to have spoken to General Yeager about uh, about his exploits uh, in World War II and as a test pilot, and we'd refer you back to our archives for those very compelling interviews. Our quote of the day comes from Jay Leno, who said about a week ago, Yesterday, President Obama told voters that he's a Christian, but you see how Fox News reported it? They said Obama admits he's a follower of the bearded radical of the Middle East. Our quip of the day, and this is a first, comes from a tweet by Mark Evanier, whose blog, News From Me, we uh, have quoted on numerous occasions. Said Mark Evanier, They're giving flu shots at my local Costco. It's a great value, but you have to get 12 of them at the same time. Our stat of the day is $14.6 billion. That's the amount of money that the top-selling class of pharmaceuticals in America make. By the way, those drugs are the antipsychotics. Turns out antipsychotics are also the most frequent target of the Federal False Claims Act, which is a broad anti-fraud statute. All five major drug companies marketing antipsychotics have either recently settled false claim suits or are under state or federal investigations for fraud. That's according to the New York Times. Our bonus stat of the day is roughly the same. As in, what would the U.S. and world populations be if there'd been no wars? That's according to Marilyn Vos Savant, who notes that the great majority of wartime casualties have been men, and the demographers say that population growth is generally determined by the number of child-bearing women, their fecundity. Fecundity is affected by factors such as disease and a lack of food and water, but having fewer men... More fertile throughout their life, doesn't make a significant dent in population growth. I would like to see that confirmed, however. If any of you statisticians out there, uh, particularly I'd like to know, during the, the World War II years, 1939 to 1945, did the world's population grow in spite of the worst war in history? Inquiring minds want to know, and if you've got the answer, send it to info at radioparallax.com. Our joke of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, who said, Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer, is criticizing President Obama for not properly training his dog, Bo. Said Fallon, apparently Bo still doesn't respond to simple commands such as, sit, stay, and fix the economy. Does remind me of a cartoon uh, from earlier this summer from the Humor Times, which was Dick Cheney teaches a dog to speak. Cheney had a dog strapped on a table with with a cloth over his mouth, which he was pouring water onto. That's uh, waterboarding, if the image isn't clear. Which allows us to segue, which we're going to do, into a report published in the latest edition of Current Biology magazine, which I guess is a UK publication. The headline said, The next time Rover looks really sad when you leave the house, he might actually be depressed according to this new study. Yeah, stop the presses for this one. Yeah, how far off can Prozac for dogs be? But but anyway, researchers at the University of Bristol said that their findings fly in the face of common wisdom that dogs generally do not stay sad for long. Apparently none of the researchers live, live next to people that have dogs and have had to listen to them bark all day long. But according to Professor Mike Mendel, head of the Animal Welfare and Behavioral Research at the Bristol School of Veterinary Science, what our study has shown is that a glass-half-full dog is less likely to be anxious when left alone than one that is more pessimistic in nature. Yeah, and apparently all this fine research is based on a study where a dog was allowed to enter the room and sometimes his dish had food in it and sometimes he didn't and he watched how the dog behaved and came to some of these remarkable conclusions. And I can't resist uh, quoting some comments by a woman called Michelle Hansen, writing in The Guardian, said as follows, We don't need scientists to tell us that some dogs are grumpier than others. For my happy hounds, the bowl is always half full. But scientists at Bristol University examining the behavior of dogs when separated from their owners have found that some seem gloomier than others. I already want to bang my head against the wall. Did the scientists expect all the dogs to behave in the same way? Do they have dogs of their own? Have they noticed that dogs each have their own little foibles? Dogs that are calm when left alone have an optimistic attitude, suggest the scientists. But dogs performing, quote, undesirable separation-related behavior, vocalizing, destruction, and toileting, while alone, have a more pessimistic cognitive basis. Well, you would have, wouldn't you, if you were a dog? Imagine it. You've been living in a home for dogs. You're taken into a strange room where a person hides behind a screen with you. Then you're allowed to come out and find your dinner in a bowl. The bowl could be anywhere. Some days it's here, some days it's there. Some days it's full, some days it's empty. You may keep optimistically dashing to the bowl, hoping your dinner's in it. You may get hacked off, (laughs) being jerked about, and decide not to bother. Either choice is reasonable for a dog. But I think for the definitive word on this, we have to go to the late, great Sam Kinnison.
1: That's like dog psychiatry to me, you know? <laughs> Animal therapy, did you hear about this? I'd love to get in on some of that money, all right? Sam, the dog psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah, bring Rusty to me, okay? <laughs> it's Rusty, man, it's Rusty. He used to be a happy dog. He'd jump around, he was happy. We used to play my frisbee stuff and he just hasn't been himself. So like, yeah, yeah, well wait out in the lobby. Come on in, Rusty. Come here. Come here, Rusty. First of all, you're a dog! Yeah, listen, uh, we had a real good session today. Rusty really opened up. Yeah, he's uh you can tell he's a sparky dog again, and uh That'll be 200 bucks. okay? Thank you, man. Yeah. yeah, animal psychiatry made easy, all
0: right? You know, I think it is time for the canine version of the DSM, don't you? Anyway, let's do some uh, mail. Bruce wrote us a couple weeks back, noting that he just received a fax of an internal memo from the office of Newt Gingrich that said that he had made the cut. He was one of the top 100 doctors who had worked tirelessly on healthcare reform said Bruce, I believe I've spent more time on my emails to you than I have on healthcare care reform, so I think I must contact Newt Gingrich's office and let them know the truth, that you have worked harder on health care reform than me, and it is you who deserve this honor. Bruce, we want to thank you for thinking of us. The Radio Parallax just wouldn't feel good about accepting any kind of award from Newt Gingrich a man who told his wife he was going to divorce her while she was in the hospital undergoing cancer treatments. And we forgot to mention an addendum to a letter from James uh, several weeks back where he noted that uh, Orson Welles had the third best celebrity voice after George Sanders and Alexander Scoresby. And I had to confess, I didn't know anything about Alexander Scoresby, but I looked it up and found out that he did have quite a long, distinguished career as a narrator. At one point, he narrated the entire King James Bible is considered to be probably the definitive version of it. But personally, I'm still leaning towards Orson. And if any of our younger listeners don't remember the actor George Sanders, he's a guy worth uh, a look back at. Memorable role in All About Eve. Uh, George Sanders was the definitive cad. And like so many great character actors, just, you know, makes the film that he's in. I want to thank Millie. We're sending us a, uh, a copy of the New York Times article by Maureen Dowd, who attended a seminar titled, Get Motivated. In fact, I got a quote from this a little bit. The second time the beach ball hit me on the head, I started feeling motivated. Not to become an instant millionaire with the help of Jesus and some cheesy business evangelists. Rather, I felt motivated to flee the (laughs) 9-hour, 9.95, get-motivated seminar at the Verizon Center, which had devolved into a faux beach party with DJs playing 80s music and audience members tossing around plastic beach balls and dancing to Michael Jackson's Thriller and Van Halen's Jump. But I stayed in the Church of Capitalism, determined to hear what wisdom headliners Colin Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Dan Rather, Steve Forbes, and Terry Bradshaw would dispense. She went on to note that the Get Motivated seminar organizers tried to entice audience members to sign up for more seminars that, for a fee, will teach them the secrets of cashing in on stocks, real estate, and the internet. After Rick Beluzzo, the former chief operating officer for Microsoft, told the crowd that they needed to, quote, own our own development, unquote, and that, quote, perseverance can pay off, unquote. She was ready for football analyst Terry Bradshaw coming on the stage to lumber on, saying things like, I need a woman with money. Maureen Dad said he was he was like a 62-year-old mama's boy with three ex-wives, adding he seemed more like a man who could use some advice rather than one paid for giving it. Especially when he announced to the crowd, I've never really motivated anybody. (laughs) I know I'm going on a bit, but I just just love this piece. According to Maureen Dowd, when Rudy Giuliani took his turn, he had a few choice words about Al Gore and global warming before giving forth his pearls of wisdom. The first one was, (laughs) quote, you've got to have a computer, unquote. As he explained to the diminishing crowd that remained, quote, that other world that used to exist, doesn't exist anymore, unquote. By the way, we're having one of these goofball seminars in Sacramento tomorrow, October 15th, featuring Sarah Palin. If, dear listener, any of you attend that event, please give us a firsthand report. All right, and finally we have an email from Michael I have to talk about, although we really could use Dr. Andy Jones's help for this one. According to this email from Michael, a paraprosdokian is a figure of speech in which the latter part of a sentence or phrase is surprising or unexpected in a way that causes the reader or listener to reframe and reinterpret the first part. Which frankly sounds horrible. But before you fall asleep, let's do a few choice examples. Such as, The last thing I want to do is hurt you, but it's still on the list. Or, Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting one in a fruit salad. Here's one we've used before. Some people are like slinkies. They're not really good for anything, but you can't help smiling when you see one tumbling down the stairs. Here's one I like. Whenever I fill out an application in the part that says, in case of emergency call, I usually put in a doctor. And we'll close with this one. I didn't say it was your fault. I said I was blaming you. We've got a few more, but we'll save them for, uh, for next week. And I don't know if any of you uh, attended the uh, the reception for Senate President Pro Tem Daryl Steinberg, which took place in Curtis Park uh, on October 5th. But if any of you did, please let us know how that went at info at radioparallax.com. It was 3900 bucks to host it, 2500 bucks to be a, quote, co-host, and $1,000 to sponsor it. We're thinking perhaps some of our listeners may have been $250 individual tickets or more likely the $25 student tickets. And if any of you were dumb enough to attend the Laura Bush talk on Monday night, we would ask you to please not send us any information to info at Frankly, we couldn't possibly care less what Laura Bush had to say. With the, uh, with the one exception of the comments she made dissing her husband's administration. Those we'd like to hear about. But uh, anyway, how the California Speaker Series could sink as low as it does sometimes, uh, I don't know, it's beyond us. I do note that since he's retired to his ranch, there hasn't apparently been a big demand for George W. Bush in speaking engagements. But then let's face it, he never did speak very well. Well, we're chewing up the time with all these digressions, but... Uh, one more. The Sacramento State College of Business Administration has an advertisement that was in, I think, the Sacramento Bee that I really caught my eye. Because I guess it's not enough to be an MBA. Now you have to be an MBA for executives. An E-MBA. I guess this is the course you take after you're already an executive. So I guess I guess this is the one that Bernie Madoff will be enrolling in. Because I love <laughs> the, uh, the tagline attached to the ad. It said, creating the next generation of risk-takers. And let's face it, folks, isn't that what America needs more of? Risk-takers? Yeah, like the guys at Lehman Brothers that said leveraging 30 to 1 shouldn't be a problem. I mean, what are the odds the real estate market could possibly take a downturn? We have so much more for this show, but let's uh, let's, uh, see if we can't uh, get a pearl of wisdom or two from our good pal, Mr. Will Durst.
2: Ladies and gentlemen and voters, for listening, viewing, tweeting. Let me assure you that I believe in my opponent's right to say bad things about this country, state, city. I just don't happen to agree with him, her, whatever. Now, if the circumstances, polls, my extortion trial verdict were different, and he, she, they weren't advocating we push old people, our children, veterans, into the path of a steaming train, 18-wheeler, blintz... I would be the first, second, third one to defend their right to say whatever stupid things he, she, they believed in, was advised to believe in, or had a hunch might be corroborated at a later date. Because in this great country, state, city, ladies and gentlemen and lawyers, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, no matter how stupid or foolish or wussy it may be, or C or D. It's a little deal called free speech. Just one of the things that makes us great, greater, greatest. Sometimes, however, albeit, ergo, free speech can mean trouble, treason, lawsuits. Sometimes people would be better off just keeping their big mouths shut, zipped, clamped. You know it, and I know it, and I'm pretty sure our founding fathers knew it too, and three, and four. And my opponent is the one who should be keeping his big mouth shut, ladies and gentlemen and natural gas pipeline inspectors, because with things the way they are today, tomorrow, and yesterday, in good conscience, I just can't stand here and there and everywhere and let this continue, persist, carry on, my wayward son. The stakes are too high, the time is too important, the truth is too vital and expedient and slippery and not something he can just walk around and pretend it's not there like it were a homeless person. As Ronald Reagan, JFK, Bossa Nova once said, facts are stubborn things. And you know what else is stubborn, ladies and gentlemen, and political consultants? You, me, everyone, the voters in this country, state, city, and I'm hoping, trusting, worried that you will, will not, might forget to go to the polls on November 2nd, 3rd, or 4th. And do do that voodoo that you do so well. Not so well. Wellish. For Radio Parallax, Radio paravases, Radio Straight Flush, I'm Will Durst. Not Will Durst. Will Durst Light. You
0: say? You say? You know Thank you, Will. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We got lots more. Stick around.